how many of you have had like a crazy chaotic week or a crazy chaotic morning? Um, yeah, it's been a little chaotic, uh, even for me this morning, So, um, which is great because that really fits all the names of God because the names of God come to us in our real life and they come to us in our chaotic times. That's where God meets um, almost everybody that he meets. So I'm going to actually skip part of what I was going to do at the beginning for the sake of you and your time. Is that okay? That never hurts, right? So let me, uh, but we are finishing today the names of God. We do have the postcards that Lisa made. If you'd like these for your Bible, they're in the back at the information desk. We'd love for you to have one of these. And, and yeah, just, I'm going to, just, I encourage you to use them in your prayer. Just, if you're in a time of need of provision, who is not in a time of need of provision in some way? Go to him as Yahweh Yaira and say, Lord, you're the one who sees ahead of time, and I'm needing you to provide. Would you come through? And then we take that and we turn it to praise afterwards. And when he does, we, in our prayer time, when we praise him, we say, I praise you that you are Yahweh Yaira, that you, that you did that for me. So just encourage us to incorporate this into our, into our lives. So yeah, thanks to, to Brent last week for, for filling in for me, for preaching on Adonai. I appreciate that. Pat and I were off on our 37th anniversary trip. 37 years, I can't believe it. Um, took her to Dallas. People who knew I was going to Dallas knew that I had a really big surprise for her, and here it is. Um, took her to Bucky's. It's like five quick trips all in one. It's, it's, a, it's only Texas, like loud and proud. And then, so we went to Bucky's, got gas. I got her a Bucky's uh, uh, banana pudding, and then we came back to Emporia. I mean, Right? Greatest anniversary trip ever. <laughs> we did a little more. Anna Black made the front of Emporia Living. Isn't that cool? Great picture. I heard you majored out dad proud. So that's really cool to see. So, all right, let me get to where I need to be. We're doing the names of God. Let me fast forward. Yeah, so today we're actually going to look at one of God's L names. We've been, most of them have been Yahweh. You remember El is short for Elohim, which is their word for God. And we've already looked at El Shaddai, God Almighty, um, El Roi, the God who sees. And today we're going to learn we're going to learn another one, and it's in Genesis 21. So if you would turn to Genesis 21 with me, turn to Genesis 21. We're going to start at verse 22. It is not the most famous story of Abraham at all. But in verse 22, it says, At that time, Abimelech and Philcal, the commander of his forces, said to Abraham, God is with you in everything you do. Um, Abimelech, if you're reading through Genesis, we first met, you would have first met the guy in chapter 20. He was a king of a, a Philistinian, Philistinian, Philist. Philistines, Philistinian, right? The Philistines, those guys. He was the king of a city-state called Gerar. So it was an important guy in the area where Abraham lived. And after three decades um, of Abraham living in that area, Abimelech is telling him what everybody in Canaan has really noticed um, through those those three decades, that he could clearly see that Abraham was with God. 
that his blessing was upon him, that his favor rested on him. And that's what he said. God's with you in everything you do. So verse 23, he says, Now swear to me here before God that you will not deal falsely with me or my children or my descendants. Show to me and the country where you now reside as a foreigner the same kindness I have shown to you. So he wants two things. Don't lie to me, please. (laughs) You've kind of got the upper hand around here. We can tell God's with you. So just be honest to us. And would you be kind to us? We've been kind to you. So two simple requests. And in verse 24, Abraham responds. Abraham said, I swear it. I'll do it. And then he doesn't stop there. I think it's kind of funny that next he's going to say something kind of like this. Well, while we're having this nice conversation, can I talk to you about one of the wells that I dug before and that actually belongs to me? You'll see in verse 30 that it belongs to him. So can I talk about a well? So look at verse 25. Then Abraham complained to Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized. But Abimelech said, I don't know who has done this. You did not tell me, and I've heard about it only today. I mean, you can almost hear his nervousness in that. Like, he's like, I'm dealing with somebody that God blesses, and I'm almost, oh, oh my gosh, what have we done? Have we stepped on his toe? And he, know that even though, he knows that even though he's a king of a small kingdom, he holds nothing to Abraham, and he realizes that. And you can kind of hear his fear. But Abraham, in his kindness, takes the initiative to keep the relationship in good standing. So verse 27, and this is usually not how we show people that we're going to be a good friend, a neighbor, but it's what he does. So Abraham brought sheep and cattle and gave them to Abimelech, and the two men made a treaty. Abraham set apart seven ewe lambs from the flock, and Abimelech asked Abraham, what's the meaning of these seven ewe lambs you set apart by themselves? I guess he, that wasn't normal in their culture either. He's like, what, do you, what is this? But anyways, verse 30, he replied, accept these seven lambs from my hand as a witness that I dug this well. So that place was called Beersheba. Beersheba in Hebrew means the well of oath. So that place was called the well of oath because the two men swore an oath there. So essentially they shook hands on the deal, and they made an oath. Here is a map of, that, of where this happened. There's Gerar. Um, there's Beersheba, where they were having this meeting. That area in the yellow is a coastal plain that's a very fertile plain. That's where the Philistines, that's the area they controlled. And so there were like several city-states in that. When you meet Goliath, you meet um, of Gath. That's one of those city-states. So that's, um, that's just a map of where this is happening. And then verse 32. After the treaty had been made at Beersheba, Abimelech and Philcal, the commander of his forces, they returned to the land of the Philistines. And then in verse 33, we're going to say Abraham do two things. So verse 33, Abraham planted a tamarisk tree, tamarisk tree in Beersheba, and there he called on the name of the Lord, the eternal God. And Abraham stayed in the land of the Philistines for a long time. So verse 33, if you look at that. We have the revelation of another of God's names. It's in the last three words in the English, which says the eternal God. In Hebrew, it's really simple. It simply says El Olam. Can you say that with me? El Olam. El Olam. Olam means eternal, everlasting, forever, always. Pretty simple meaning. So in Hebrew, it would literally read God eternal or God everlasting. That's what the name is. So in other words, He is the eternal God He is the God we just sang about. He is the everlasting God. That is who he is. And I think as we work our way through some stuff this morning, uh, you'll be very thankful that we serve this stable, everlasting God because not a lot in our life is stable, right? Right? Who this morning is experiencing some instability in your own life? That this will speak very much into that.
Abraham already knew God as El Elyon, the highest God. Genesis 14, we see that. Genesis 17, he's confessed him as El Shaddai, the Almighty God. And now he's giving this name El Olam, the everlasting God. And the question is, why here? Why on this story? Because this story, frankly, when you read it, you're like, almost, why is this even in Genesis at first blush? It doesn't seem very significant, but it's actually extremely significant. Um, In Genesis chapter 12, God had called Abraham to leave his country and move to a land he would show him. And that was the land of Canaan, which we just saw. And he promised him in that land of Canaan, in Genesis 17, he makes a covenant with Abraham that is an everlasting covenant. And that's really important because four times in Genesis 17, God emphasizes the covenant is everlasting, it's everlasting, it's everlasting, it's everlasting. And he promises him two things. I'm going to give you a son, and from that son, I'm going to build a nation to bless all nations, and I'm going to give you a land, and your descendants are going to possess that land. So that's the two promises of God's everlasting covenant. And so when you come to Genesis 21, it's actually a very pivotal chapter, because in Genesis 21, two significant things happen. Number one, Isaac is born, the son of promise, 25 years after the promise, finally is born. So the first part of the covenant is finalized. And then the second thing that happens in 21, in the last part of the chapter, is this, where a local king of the area, for the first time, they say to them, we realize you, though you're a foreigner who came into here, you have a right to this land and a right to ownership and having your own wealth. And so both of those promises in this chapter are fulfilled. Does that make sense? So what what Abraham does is in Genesis 21 is because of those events, he could finally and tangibly see that God, who made an everlasting covenant with him, had come through, and so therefore he is the everlasting God. And so he praises him as El Olam. Is that not cool? I think that's really cool what's happening in chapter 21. And then, and that's why he planted this tamarisk tree there. It was a very common tree in the area, and I want to show you a picture. This is what one looks like, and that's the area where they lived. Pretty, pretty stark. Uh, why he moved there in that specific place, I'm not sure, in Beersheba. But anyways, I mean, he was supposed to be in Canaan. That's a pretty bleak part of that countryside. But here's what's important about him planting the tamarisk tree, is that is an evergreen tree. Now, is not an evergreen tree a fitting symbol of the everlasting God? It's like he's almost planting an altar of worship that would go for for ages to come, um, or however long these trees live, as an altar to the fact that the everlasting God had made an everlasting covenant and come through, showing he was everlasting, so he plants an evergreen tree. I think it's really cool what he does. Um, if you've paid attention, I, I'm sure you have, um, during this, and I really, this is to me an important thing I wanted to communicate this morning. Have you noticed how often these names, God is revealed reveals himself in a name in the midst of people's real life circumstances and usually in the midst of difficulty. Have you noticed how often those names come in the midst of difficulty? Um, That they occur in the context of people's real lives and their real life struggles. That's why C.I. Schofield said the revelation of God by his names is invariably made in connection with some particular need of his people. And it's when he met them in the midst of their circumstances and their difficulties that they came to either learn new things about him or learn things about him in a new way, a deeper way they didn't know before. And that they came to know him not just intellectually, but they came to know him experientially and more intimately. And that's really significant because God wants to be made known intimately. So what happens here in this chapter 21 is God is meeting him intimately at a point of need 
um, forget that picture, we'll get that in a second, is meeting him intimately at a point of need where he's still not sure is this land really going to be ours, and God comes through and he says, you are El Olam, the everlasting God, who keeps his everlasting covenants. Abraham came to know God as Yahweh Yireh when he provided that ram in place of his son, right, in a time of great need. Hagar came to know God as El Roi, the God who sees when she was stranded in the desert, likely to die, had been abandoned by everybody, was like a nobody, and he shows up and cares for her. Gideon, if you remember. Sorry, there's no good pictures of Gideon without the whacked-looking angel things. Um, Gideon came to know God as Yahweh Shalom, I am your peace, in the midst of a time of great fear and trembling for him and for that whole nation. So, um, and here's why that's important. And I said this the very first sermon, and I want to reiterate it, that God does the same with us. He really longs for us to know him by name. And the best place you'll learn him by name is in the midst of your difficulties when you come into a situation and you don't know how to get out of it. And then when he meets you in the middle of that situation, and then you can see him revealed to you in a new way, and it just isn't just knowledge, intellectual, becomes experiential and personal. Does that make sense? So here's what I want to challenge all of us, because we're all going to get into difficulties in our life, all of us. Small things in the day, things we don't expect, things that come in the week, whatever it is that God knows and he's there. And if you will lean into that, if you'll lean into that, and not just let the event overwhelm you, but if you'll lean into that thing and say, God, how are you wanting to meet me in this? And if you'll actually pray to him in one of his names, and as he answers that, you will come to know him intimately that way. So that's why these, to me, these stories are all so significant. So lean into your difficulties. Um, yeah, if you find yourself at a place where you deeply are in need of provision of some kind, something's happened, you're like, man, I've, I need this, I don't have the money, or whatever, Stop, calm your soul, take, take your thoughts captive and say, I'm coming to you. You are Yahweh Yaira. You're the God who sees beforehand. You knew this was coming. You've been planning for the provision. I need you to provide. I'd love to meet you in this way and know you experientially. So that's my challenge is let's, let's all lean into our difficult times. Okay, I want to delve more into this, this meaning of this name, El Olam. Yeah, that's us. The God wants to meet you in the midst of your stuff, not just these guys, okay? And if we could have people stand up right now and I could have you say, what's your stuff right now you're in the middle of? And we could all name something. God really wants to meet you there. Okay, Elulam. Let me dive in a little more. Because it speaks to God's everlasting nature. That he's the one who has no beginning and no end, right? There's no time when he was not God. He always has been. He always will be. He is the everlasting one. He's the eternal one. He is the ever-living one. He is the one who lives forever. And that's why in Isaiah 44, 6, he records this, that this is what the Lord says, Israel's King and Redeemer, the Lord Almighty, I am the first and the last. Apart from me, there is no God. Or why in Revelation 1, 8, John records God saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord, who is, who was, who is to come, the Almighty. Alpha and Omega are the first and last letters in the Greek alphabet. It's another way of saying beginning and the end. Or in Revelation 21.6, he says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, which is what I just said. Other, other scripture speaks to God's eternality. I think the classic text is Psalm 90, verses 1 to 2. Lord, you've been our, hiding, our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting, from everlasting to everlasting, everlasting to everlasting. You are God. 
Habakkuk 1.12 says, Lord, you're not, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, you will never die. In Romans 16.26, Paul calls God the eternal God. And in a great text, a song of praise, in 1 Timothy 1.17, Paul says, now to the king, can you say these next two words with me? Eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Can we say amen to that? Amen. And tied to this name are some really important biblical truths. First, that God's, um, let me see, is that the right one? That is the right one. That God's reign and kingdom are eternal. That's why Psalm 9-7 says, the Lord reigns forever. Or Jeremiah 10.10, the Lord is the true God. He is the living God, the eternal king. Psalm 145.13, your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Your dominion endures through all generations. And Psalm 102.12, you, Lord, sit enthroned. Your renown endures through all generations. So he's the eternal king, eternally reigning. And that is very tied closely to the idea of the sovereignty of God. And so David wrote in Psalm 33.11 that the plans of the Lord stand firm, however... How long? I'm sorry. Forever. The purposes of his heart throughout all generations. In other words, his overarching big macro plans that he has for human history will happen. And the plans he has for you, that he says that he'll cause all those little things to work for your good, that he's at work, he's the everlasting God, bringing about his eternal plan for you. And what of God's righteousness? Psalm 111.3 says, Glorious and majestic are his deeds, and his righteousness endures forever. So you can be certain that he'll always do what's right in the midst of your situation. Um, man, as I thought about this, this name has so much packed into it. There are some things embedded and applied in this name that um, I want to pull out, three things in particular. And these all come, the first thing we did in this series was just I am, Yahweh. And the same three names that are in that name are actually embedded in this name. And let me hit these quickly. One is God's self-existence. Embedded in this is the idea of God's self-existence. That he is eternally the self-existent one. God simply is. Always has been. Always will be. And he, and he alone, he's the only one that has life and being in and of himself. So his self-existence. Also embedded in this is this idea of God's timelessness. His timelessness. Again, an attribute we see in his name, I am. That when God created the universe and he created space, time, and matter... Um, that I want you to know that he exists outside of all of those things. He exists beyond time, outside of time, in his own transcendence. So he is not bound to time at all. Um, we experience time. We talked about this with the I am. I either experience it in three ways, right? either, either as past, present, or future. But to El Olam, the eternal God, the I am, the present tense I am, everything to him is it's present. Everything is now. Everything is today. Um, what's past to me is present to him. What's future to me is present to him. I mean, go figure that out. I don't know, but he's eternally present. Remember, his name's not I was or I will be, but it is I am, that he's eternally present today. And let me give you one application, how this helps me in my life, El Olam and Yahweh, the I am. Um, have you ever told somebody you're going to pray for them? You even put it in your phone. That's what I have to do as an old man. You have to put it in your phone and set an alarm so it pops up. I, I'm not like maybe they're going to have a surgery in three weeks. So you set the date, right? 
Um, or you think you put it in, and you put it in the wrong day. Ever do that? I do that all the time. You think you got it in the right day. And you find out, maybe, maybe you, don't, you miss the alarm, you're in a meeting, or you find out later that day you put it in the wrong day, and then, oh, they had that at 10, and I told them I'd pray for them. And you ever feel discouraged, kind of like a loser, right, that you didn't do anything? What I love about El Olam and Yahweh, the ever-present one, is what I know is I can go to him in prayer, and I can say, right now, I'm coming to you six hours late. But you are present at that surgery right now, and would you please be there? Would you please intervene? Would you please watch over that person? Would you bring be healing in their life? Does that, does that make sense? And it just takes all the pressure off your prayer life that I can go to him about anything and be like, that thing that happened, I want to pray about that after the fact. So that's a way why this is significant to me. And then finally is the idea bound up in this, is, this name is God's immutability or the fact that he is unchanging that's a really easy way to say immutable. Psalm 55, 19 says that he is the God who is enthroned from old, who does not change. Psalm 102, 26 and 27. In the beginning you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, but you remain the same. You remain the same because your, your years will never end. Look closely at Psalm 135, 13. It reads, Your name, Lord, endures forever. Your renown, Lord, through all generations. Is it his name that endures forever? What does name represent to Jewish people? It's his essence and his character. What that's saying is, who you are in your essence, your character, is always going to be there. Um, so I could translate this. It means your character, Lord, who you are in your essence, it never changes. It endures forever. And that's so important because what that tells me is, is who God was and who he is and who he always will be from my perspective. He revealed in those names that he's always that name. God always has been, always is, and always will be my shepherd. He'll always be the one who sees. He'll always be the one who provides. He'll always be Yahweh Tzabaoth, the Lord over heaven's angels' armies. He'll always be my banner. He'll always be my peace. He's always there for me, Yahweh Shema. He's always the God who is zealous for me, Yahweh Kana, and who pursues me, that this is just the reality of who he is. Um, God can be no other than who he is in all of his names and the character traits those represent at all times. In all times, all places, he's all of those things. I mean, is that not great? Have you ever had anybody fail you in any way? I mean, if I had us raise hands, we would all raise hands, right? Because nobody is fully perfect, nobody is fully stable, no thing, no person in our lives. And so can we put the full weight of our lives upon them, right, or upon a thing? But I want you to know God is fully trustworthy. He is, he is who he is, will always be who he is. He's stable, he's there, you can trust him and he will never fail you. And that's why the psalmist wrote in Psalm 145, 13, your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is trustworthy in all he promises, and he's faithful in all he does. And that's why he's my rock. That's why he's my rock. And this is also true of Jesus. For in Hebrews 13, 8, it says this. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Same yesterday, today, and forever. We have seen in all these names that Jesus is the embodiment of all of them because he's the creator in human flesh, right? That great messianic prophecy in Isaiah 9 that we do at Christmas, 
For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. Would you read the next one with me? Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. I could go on in that text. It talks more. I'm going to skip that part. I want to show you something really cool. Really cool. Because a minute ago, we saw that God is the first and the last, the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega. And I want you to see what John says about Jesus in the book of Revelation. There it is. In Revelation 1, 17 to 18. When I saw him, I fell at his feet. This is talking about G- John talking about Jesus, though he was dead. Then he placed his right hand on me. He said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead and now look, I, have, I am alive forever and ever. Forever and ever, I hold the keys of death in Hades. And then chapter 22, verse 13, look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me. I will give to each person according to what they have done. I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Do you see the things that are said of God the Father are also said of the Son? Because they exist in community. They're one and the same. So Jesus truly is the name above all names. He truly is the name above all names. All right, let me, let me land this thing. So the God that we love and serve is El Olam. He is the everlasting God. The God who is always there. Always there. Always will be. Always has been. And we know from all these other names we've done this semester that he's not just forever there, but he's forever actively involved in our lives. That's what these names have all been about. He's not the deist God who's unaware, uninvolved, uncaring, uninterested. He is the creator who loves us and is involved and present in our lives. And that's, that reality is what brought Asaph great comfort in Psalm 73 when he was struggling with some stuff going on in his life. And here's what he wrote. I am always with you, always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterwards you'll take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? Earth has nothing that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart, and he is my portion forever. Forever. I hope you can see the importance of this name, that it really has real ramifications in our life. Um, And I want to share with you right now the most important part. I've been holding this card kind of in my pocket. I'm going to pull out the ace of spades right now, if you don't mind. Because his eternality speaks to one other very important thing. His love. His love. Using the Hebrew word ahav, which is their way of expressing deep affection that you have for somebody. In Jeremiah 31.3, God says, the Lord, it says, the Lord appeared saying, I have ahaved you, I have loved you affectionately with an everlasting love. I've loved you with an everlasting love. Let that soak in for a minute. I've loved you with an everlasting love. But if you know me well, you know my favorite Hebrew word is hesed. We've talked about that before. That's God's very special agape kind of love. It's his faithful, unending, unconditional, sacrificial love. And one of the most common refrains found in the Psalms and other parts of the Old Testament, it's used repeatedly. I'll show you Psalm 106.1. It says, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His chesed love endures forever. 
It endures forever. Forty-four times in the Old Testament, we're told that God's chesed love is forever. Forty-four times. And it's because of the Lord's great love that we are not consumed. Because His compassions never fail. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Who doesn't need that this morning? Who doesn't need the word of God and the, the name El Olam? So are you struggling with anything right, right now? Carrying a great burden or a great weight of some kind? I want to point you to El Olam. The everlasting God. The eternal God. We're told this, the eternal God is your refuge. And underneath are the everlasting arms. What parent who's here, who's ever held a child in their arms, does not get the depth of that verse? Does not, that doesn't just strike you to the core of who you are, the beauty of that. And as Al used to say, Al loved this verse, when the bottom of your world has dropped out, and it will, right? His everlasting arms are there beneath you to catch you, to hold you, to comfort you, to carry you, and to protect you. That's El Olam. That's the God we worship. Do you see why in Proverbs 18.10 it says the name of the Lord is a strong fortress, the righteous, the godly run to him and they're safe because the name of the Lord represents who he is, right? All these names. God and who he is in his names. He's a strong fortress and I can run to him and be safe. And why in Psalm 9.10 David says those who know your name, who know who you are in all of your names, they trust in you for you, Lord, have never forsaken those who forsake you. You've never forsaken those, not who forsake you, those who, who seek you, those who seek you. So, do you not love this name? Is that not a great name? Is that not a great way to wrap it up, that who he is in all of his names, he's eternally that? Every day, every day he's all of those things. So, shouldn't we end in worship with that? Yeah. So, let's, uh, worship team, come on out. Um, should we not sing about the everlasting, everlasting God? So stand up and join us as we worship him. I hope you guys have loved this series as much as I have, just learning all of these names. And my takeaway from today is that all that we've learned, all these names are everlasting. They're forever and they're such a great tool for being able to just have a more intimate connection with the Lord. So let's seal these names in our heart. Let's use them in our personal worship, in our personal prayer time. And let's just celebrate that this morning.
God not awesome, the everlasting God is who we worship. I want to close. Jen referenced Isaiah 40. Great passage, great text. Can I read this to you? Because it relates to the everlasting God. So Isaiah chapter 40, I'm going to start in verse 21. It's a passage a lot of us have heard. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told to you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded that he sits enthroned above the circle of the earth and its people are stretched out like grasshoppers? He stretches out the heavens like a canopy. He spreads them out like a tent to live in. To whom will you compare me, says God, or who is my equal, asks the Holy One. Lift up your eyes, look to the heavens. Who created all of these things? Who created, who brings out the starry hosts one by one and calls forth each by name because of his great and power and mighty strength? Not one of them is missing. So why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? My cause is disregarded by my God. Do you not know, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of heaven and of earth, and he will not grow tired or weary his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary, increases the power of the weak. You ever, do you feel weak today? He gives power to the weak. Even youths grow, youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Let me pray. Father, thank you for all of these names, for the reality of who you are. Thank you that you're the ever-living, ever-living God, 
the one that is always all of these things. That you're the stable one, that your kingdom is forever, that we can trust your sovereign rule, your goodness, and your love. It's just always there. So Lord, in the midst of whatever we find ourselves in today, may we lean into you, step away from the problem, see a bigger picture, and see who you are as our ever-living God. I'm so thankful for this reality, for this name in us. So I pray in the name of El Olam and in the name of Jesus, who is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. We pray in, in his name. Amen. All right, 12th, you are sent to, to love and to follow this everlasting God in front of a, a city that so badly needs to see people who trust in him. So you're sent.